Well, as we continue to worship this morning, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is where we will begin this morning, and then we will make our way over to Psalm 102. We will also look at several other passages throughout as we continue our series on the nature and character of our God. As we consider this morning, and I trust meditate upon the truth that God is eternal and immutable, immutable. And as you turn to Psalm 90, let us turn to the Lord one more time in a word of prayer as we give ourselves over to him in this moment. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. For it is by your word that we know you. It is by your word that you have revealed to us the infinite nature of your character and the eternality of who you are. Father, as limited and created beings, those who experience time and days and months and years, it is so hard for us to fathom the reality of a God who has always existed, who exists even now in the present, and who will exist into all eternity future. And so, Father, may we marvel this morning. May we give glory to you, for it is due your name. Father, would you impress it upon our minds and our hearts this morning? Would you give us an extra measure of attention as we pay heed to the things in your word? And we pray this in your name. Amen. If you are visiting with us this morning, we started a series of sermons a few weeks ago now, considering the doctrine of our God. And in order to do so, we've been using the Articles of Faith of the BFC as somewhat of a guide to us in order to look at who our God is and what are, at least for now, the incommunicable attributes of his character. We have looked at several pairs throughout as we've considered this doctrine of our God. First, we looked at a God who is imminent and transcendent. We looked at a God who is infinite in being and perfection. We looked at a God last week who is pure spirit and invisible. And this morning, my prayer and my hope is that we would be able to meditate upon this reality of our God being eternal and immutable. If you look at the top of your bulletin insert, you can see our statement, or at least Partially there at the top of your bulletin insert on God the Father. Let us read it together this morning just so that we can get our bearings a bit. It says this in 3 1 there is but one living and true God, imminent, transcendent, infinite in being and perfection, pure spirit, invisible, immutable, and eternal. And just like last week, as we began to see the idea that God is pure in spirit, we began to apply something that we learned several weeks ago, that God is infinite in being, which means that God cannot be measured by our human standards and measurements. Now, we applied this reality to the fact that God is pure spirit, 
That is to say that God transcends over space. God is not contained to a physical body like we are contained to a physical body. For our God is not contained by anything. God is beyond the necessity to be encased in human flesh. And yet, even as we saw last week, God condescended in the person of Jesus Christ. And he met together fully God and fully man so that Jesus Christ took on flesh. And he exists for all eternity, future, in that state. But what we understand and know about God is that God is pure spirit, which means that he is not limited by space. That is to say that God is everywhere present. We also learned last week that God's spiritual nature means that he is a personal God. That being spirit, God thinks much like we think, although to an infinite level. That God has affections, that God loves and has mercy and compassion. And also that God has purposes and a will. And he executes, he executes those plans and purposes with infinitely perfect wisdom, mercy, and justice. The theme that we've seen throughout our study so far is that God is not like us. And that God is not limited like we human beings are limited. And we should say amen and amen to that. But there's another way that God's infinite nature is seen in his essence. God is not limited by space, but neither is God limited by time. God is spirit and God is eternal. If God being spirit means that he is everywhere present, then God being eternal means that he is always present. I hope you understand what I mean when I say that. To say that God is eternal is to say that God always is. God has no relation to time aside from the fact that he is sovereign over it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we should not conceive of God as if God has a past or a future. We must conceive of God as being in the perpetual presence. You see, beloved, God always is. And therefore, God encompasses time. That is to say that time finds its start, its duration, and even its end in God. God stands before all things, and God is in all things, and God will be after all things. You see, God holds time in the span of his hands. Now, I wonder if you'd do a little bit of exercise with me this morning, just to get you involved a bit. Go ahead and stretch your hands out in front of you like this, 
And imagine within that span of your hands the length of your days. Now try to imagine that within the hands of God spans all of history. From before the creation of all things spiritual and material, God existed. You can put your hands down. God existed. And when all things are said and done, when this earth is wrapped up even in a ball of fire to bring in the new heavens and the new earth, God will always be there. You see, God is the Alpha. And God is the Omega. God is the one who is, who was, and is to come. Listen, if you would, with me, just a passage from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 through 17. And we'll read a couple of these segments from this chapter. But notice what the prophet says here concerning God's relationship to creation and to time. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 12 says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Who, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting or eternal God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, and his understanding is unsearchable. What we learn from the prophet Isaiah and what we will learn from Moses in Psalm 90 this morning is that God is pure being, which means That God has always existed. That is to say that he is always present in relation to time because he stands over and above time. And so this morning I'd like to present to you for your consideration our first point is that our God is eternal. 
Our God is eternal. If you're following along on the insert in your bulletin, that is your first fill-in for this morning. Our God is eternal, and we see this particularly in Psalm 90. I trust that you have your Bibles turned to Psalm 90. Let us begin reading together in verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For you are brought, for we, sorry, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now let's set a bit of the historical context this morning for Psalm 90, because I think it will help us understand the contrast that is being put forward to us this morning in this psalm. The first observation that I hope you made as we read through Psalm 90 is that Psalm 90 is attributed to Moses. It is a psalm of Moses. Now, for the most part, the psalms are written by David, but what we find here is that this psalm was recorded by Moses and preserved for Israel. Not only do we realize and recognize that this is a psalm of Moses, but we also see that it's a prayer that Moses offered, which means that this must be a pretty significant prayer. This prayer meant a lot to Israel and therefore was recorded in the book of Psalms to preserve for the generations that were to come. The psalm is a prayer of Moses, that he made on behalf of the people. Now, given the nature of the psalm, given that the psalm is full of judgment and death, I trust that you picked that up as we read along, it is probably the prayer that Moses lifted up for the people during the plague of the fiery-slash-venomous snakes which we find in Numbers 21, which is also recorded later in the Gospel of John. But it's here where we see God's judgment upon Israel for their constant bickering concerning the provisions that God had given them in the manna in the wilderness. Let's look very quickly at Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, if you're following along on the In the the chair Bible, it's found on page 120. 
where we find this incident where God has cast judgment upon Israel and therefore call Moses to pray to the living God on their behalf. Numbers 21 verse 4 says this, From Mount Hor they sent out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Now this prayer that Moses lifted up, I believe is found in Psalm 90. It would seem that the judgment that we find in Psalm 90 seems to fit with this incident in Numbers 21. The reason I think this is important is because when Moses pens this psalm, he is surrounded by death. He is being confronted on every side with the frailty and the brevity of human life. What we learn in Numbers 21 is that many of the Israelites are dying from this snake bite. And therefore the stench of death and the definite mortality of men is filling Moses' nostrils. He is being bombarded on every side with the finite nature of mankind. And as he offers his prayer, he is reflecting upon this reality in light of God's transcendent eternality. And so what we find in Psalm 90 is a contrast between the lifespan of men and the quote-unquote lifespan of God. Much like last week where we saw the contrast in John 14 was between the spirit and the flesh. What we see here is a contrast between the mortality of mankind and the eternality of God. Now, with that context in mind, let's read Psalm 90 again to see if you can get the sense of Moses' urgency in this prayer as he offers it up to God. Psalm chapter 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O child of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, 
like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In the midst of the hardship and death that Israel is facing, Moses prays to a God who is eternal. That no matter where you find yourself on the timeline of life, God is there. God is present. God has no beginning and he has no end. And if this was the God that Moses prayed to, beloved, then this is certainly the God that we pray to. If God is eternal and God was the dwelling place of man in Moses' day, that same God is present and therefore the dwelling place in our day. God is no different. He does not change. He has no beginning and no end. He does not fade away like a garment. He is fixed and immovable just like the mountains. And notice how Moses draws our attention to this reality in verse 2. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's as if Moses thought of the most resolute thing that he could think of, which was the mountain, and he compared God's essence and eternality to the resolute and immovable nature of that mountain. And therefore he says, God is from everlasting to everlasting. Let's take a moment this morning and just hone in on that statement there found at the end of verse 2. For it's here where we begin to see that ultimate nature of God and His eternality. Notice Moses says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The Hebrew is, mean olam ad olam. And it literally means coming out of eternity and going as far as eternity. You are God. Just try to imagine the language that he uses here for a second. Our God comes out of eternity past, and he goes all the way up to eternity future. The intent is to communicate as much as can be communicated by human language that God has no beginning and God has no end. That he extends out indefinitely into into the past and he extends out indefinitely into the future. Beloved, was God there in eternity past? Yes. 
Will God be there in eternity future? Yes. And the reason is because God has no real relation to time. You see, we conceive of God's being as indefinitely past and indefinitely future, which is certainly hard for us to conceive. And God communicates that to us in words that we can begin to grasp the infinite nature of God's being. But even in that language, it is hard for us to imagine the immeasurable greatness of our God. God is outside of time. God has always been and he always will be because God exists in the present tense. He is ongoing. We saw that in the meaning of Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 just a few weeks back. Where God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. We see it again in Jesus' declaration in John chapter 8 verse 58. Where Jesus says to them, truly, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. God is always present. Is he with us now? He is. Was God with us yesterday? He was. Will God be with us tomorrow? He will be. Why? Because God is always present. He was with us in the past when our present was present. And he will be with us in the future when our present will be present. God always is because God is always present. And Moses tries to drive the immensity of this reality home by relating God's eternality to human time by giving us his own human illustration. Notice what Moses does for us in verse 4 of Psalm 90. Psalm 4 of verse 90 says this, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. The language that he uses here is so poetic. And it's intended to try to describe God's eternality so that human minds can begin to grasp it. A thousand years in the sight of God is like a mere day to mortals. Now that's certainly not a direct equation as if God's 1,000 years are literally equivalent to man's one day. Rather, it's a comparison for sake of impact. Moses is trying to show us the immensity of God's existence by comparing him to our measly existence. 
And the way that we, he does that is by comparing the way that we experience one day with the way that God experiences a thousand years. Now just to try to drive that home this morning as we meditate on this reality, let's just calculate that thousand to one ratio out to one year. If our year is 369 days and one day is like a thousand years to the Lord, then our year would be like 369,000 years to God. And if we multiply that by 10 to calculate how long 10 years would be in the sight of God, it would be 3,690,000 years. And if we were to further extend that, to the number of years that are common to man, 70 to 80, as Moses says in verse 10, then that would be 25,830,000 years. And so your lifetime, if you are blessed to live to 70, is like 27 million years in the eyes of the Lord. The point that I am trying to make is that God is eternal. He is timeless. And he is so beyond what we are able to comprehend. And beloved, that should be a comfort to our hearts this morning. Notice how Moses begins this psalm. In Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. If God has existed for all of time, and if our lifespan is like 26 million years to God, then there is never a time in our lives when God is not present. Beloved, it may seem like an extraordinary thing for us to live for so long, but it is a small thing for God to pay attention to us in our every single waking moment. You see, because God is always present. He is always in the moment. And He meets us there in our darkest moments. As Moses reflected on the death and destruction that surrounded him, he took comfort in the reality that God is with us. And beloved, even in our darkest moments, even on our deathbeds, even in our trials and tribulations, we can be comforted. By the reality that God is there. That God is present. That he is in the moment with you. That there is no past nor future when it comes to our God. He is always in the present. 
as Moses sees his own death approaching in Deuteronomy chapter 33. He pronounces one final blessing on Israel. And at the end of that blessing, we find these words, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 26. There is none like God, O Jeshurun, who rides through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he thrust out the enemy before you and said, destroy. And what we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 26, and Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, is that that final enemy to be destroyed is death. And therefore, God in his eternality meets us in our mortality and our frailty, even in Jesus Christ. And he offers to us this morning that very life that God possesses if we trust and believe in his son. Those who believe in Jesus will have eternal life because God never changes. And therefore, his promise is as good today as it has always been. You see, the reality that God is eternal and always present also means that God is immutable. God is immutable. If you're following along on the insert in your bulletin, that's your second fill-in this morning. Our God is immutable. Now, what do we mean when we say that God is immutable? We mean that God does not change. Why? Because God is eternal. He is always in the present. And therefore, there is no advancement to God's being. You see, beloved, when we are born into this world, we are born as infants. And as time progresses, so our bodies and our souls develop and grow and change. And even our bodies perish. But if God has no beginning, then God is never advancing. He is never growing And he is never changing. And if God has no end, then he is never diminishing. God always is. Even in Isaiah chapter 40, we learned that God is wisdom. God does not grow in wisdom. God is strength. God does not grow in strength. God is knowledge. God does not grow in knowledge. And so on and so forth. Since God is eternal, God is always present. And therefore, he does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we see this in a psalm like Psalm 102. Psalm 102, verses 25 through 28. As we try to lay some ground for application of this principle 
Notice what we find in Psalm 102. Psalm 102 verse 25 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. Verse 27, But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure, and their offspring shall be established before you. See, this is the great reality of our God. Since God is pure being, since God is always present, since God is eternal, that means, beloved, that God's love is all of those things. That God's love is the same today as it was yesterday, even so as it was in all eternity. For God's love is as real right now as it has always been. And since God is eternal, His mercy never changes. His mercy is the same today, even as it was in the rebellion of Israel in Numbers chapter 21. And since God is eternal, God's grace never changes. God's grace is the same today as it was on that fateful day when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was hung upon the cross. Beloved, trust and believe this, that when you approach God this morning, His Forgiveness is just as strong as it was on the day of your conversion. For if God's forgiveness was beyond measure on that day, then God's forgiveness is still beyond measure today. Beloved, don't suspect that just because you have been forgiven 10,000 times that God's forgiveness is any less capable today as it was the thousandth time. You see, beloved, because God is eternal, that makes His covenant in Christ Jesus just as eternal. Listen with me to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, which you can find on the insert in your bulletin. Now may the God of peace who brought you again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. God's covenants, that is his promises and his commitments are everlasting promises and commitments. God does not agree to something today and renege on it tomorrow or in a month or in a year or in 10,000 years or in 26 million years. His promises are as good today as they have always been and as they always will be because God is eternal. If God promised to propitiate the sins of his beloved on the basis of Christ's sacrifice, 
and to separate those sins as far as the east is from the west. And we trust in Christ Jesus, then that propitiation and separation are still as resolute and wide-reaching today as it was when we first believed. You see, the reality that God always is means that there is no variation or shadow due to change in God's promises. God is not fickle like we are fickle. God is an everlasting God, and therefore His love, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, and justice are always enduring. Psalm 103, verse 17 But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. You see, we, make, we may make promises and break those promises when they become too hard to maintain. But God does not make empty promises. God cannot say anything today and contradict Himself tomorrow. For what God says today, He has said throughout all eternity. What God says today, God has already said in eternity past, and He will say again in eternity future, because God's Word is eternal. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6, A voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. God's word is eternal because God's word is always present. Which is why, beloved, we can trust in His promises. It's why, beloved, our salvation is as sure today as it has always been. If God saved you in the past, it's as if your salvation was secure even before the foundation of the world. For what we learn of our salvation in Ephesians chapter 1 is that God chose us and saved us before the foundation of the world. Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. God's eternality is intended to comfort us this morning. For God's promises and His love And his forgiveness 
never wear out. But God's eternality is also a frightening thing for those who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. For as God's love and mercy have not changed, so God's justice and wrath against sin has not changed and will never change. God will not lighten up on his condemnation against sin. God's hatred for sin will be as strong and as passionate into all eternity future as it has been in all eternity past. God's punishment for sin is eternal and everlasting because God is eternal and everlasting. Matthew chapter 25 verse 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If you are here this morning, and you have not given yourself to Jesus Christ and His salvation, then today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to give yourself over to the Lord Jesus Christ and all that He has fulfilled in the cross and the resurrection. Today is the day to repent of your sin and turn yourself over to a God who is ever-loving and ever-merciful and ever-compassionate and ever-gracious. Today is the day of your salvation. Here's the reality about our God. Our God is eternal. He is always present, and therefore He never changes. And if you are here this morning and you have placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, be comforted by the fact that God is always present with you. And if you are here this morning and have not trusted in Christ, turn to Him for your salvation. Repent of your sin and put your faith in Him for God's Judgment on sin will not wane, even as his grace does not wane. Trust in Christ, and may God always be your dwelling place. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your grace towards us. How infinite it is in nature. For it is forgiveness and grace that is extended by an infinite and eternal God. And so, Father, would you comfort us with those words this morning? Would you comfort us with those words on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and even through the week and through the rest of our days? Father, we're so thankful that you are not like we are. That your promises are secure that your purposes are immovable. And so would you impress them upon our hearts this morning as we trust in your Son, Jesus Christ, and see all the provision for salvation in him. We're so thankful for it, and we pray this in your name. Amen.